This week's episode of the Quintueras podcast is sponsored by Barcelo Rum. Today, Barcelo Rum is the Dominican Republic's number one exported rum brand and the number one exported dark rum brand in the world. It's sold in over 70 countries where it's recognized as the leading premium rum from the Dominican Republic. That said, it's no surprise. Barcelo actually sent your boy a couple of bottles the other day. And let me tell you, I pulled out my fancy glass, a big old thicky thick ice cube, and poured some Barcelo in that joint. That drink was smooth, delicious. I highly recommend it, y'all. They noticed where that music was taking off, where people were calling in. People said, we want to hear this, we want to hear this. And they start saying, oh, wait a minute, this reggaeton world is being big. Yeah. It's, 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 it's massive. So they're like, hey, Rick, what does this mean? Hey, Rick, what does that mean? And that was the point that I know. I was like, oh, cool. Now I'm, I'm, I'm valuable now. I'm a value. I'm valuable. And, you know, they're always coming to me like, oh, what do you, you know, uh, is this is this somebody that's big uh, in Puerto Rico? This and, and keep in mind, it, because I spoke Spanish, they thought I was Puerto Rican, Mexican, Salvadorian, Cuban. Like, <laughs> I represent the whole nation of uh, Latinos, you know? But... I just was like, it was it was weird because in, in a way, I felt like, oh, now this is my time to shine. This is, you know, this is this is the way I'm gonna I'm gonna get my, my foot in the door, and nah, they just used me. Mi gente, dímelo, que lo que, what up? Welcome to another episode of the Quintueras podcast, brought to you by Plural. You already know on this podcast, our mission is to redefine professionalism. And we do that by having a new guest every week explore the conflict that they face between professionalism and authenticity. That said, the clip that you just heard in the intro is with this week's guest, Rick Morales. Before getting into the full conversation with my man Rick, let me give you a quick little bio on him. So Rick has been in music and radio production since 2000. He's held various titles, including recording engineer, talent manager, agent, A&R, and consultant. These days, he actually produces artist-led programs for Apple Music out of the Culver City, California office. If you go to his Instagram, you'll actually see him photoed and working with some of your favorite artists, including J Balvin, Karol G, and even Bad Bunny. He'll even get into a few of those stories on this episode. Now that you know a little bit about Rick, let me give you this final update before getting into the episode. Y'all, this podcast was named by Spotify number three out of five best podcasts for March. Not best Latino podcast, not best black podcast, not best diversity podcast, best podcast for the month of March in 2022. This is big news, y'all. As we continue to grow, I just want to reemphasize the gratitude that I feel for all of y'all listening. Not just listening, but the DMs and messages that y'all give on a continuous basis just to support. I just wanna say thank you. And you're the reason why we will ultimately redefine professionalism. With that said, let's get into this dope conversation with my man, Rick. Take it back. When I was growing up, I would always sit in front of the TV and watch the Academy Awards, the red carpet. And I was just like, man, I wanna be there one day. Like I wanna be the, the person walking the red carpet. And I know that was that was a calling. I wanted to be in the entertainment industry. So 
you know, within years, I was like, okay, what do I do? I have no idea. I say, and I just start picking up. I say, you know what? I want to be a cameraman. So I just start taking pictures, filming videos, this and that. And when I got to college, um, they were like, hey, you know, you have to take a, a elective class. And I said, okay. So I applied for every TV station, and nobody hit me back. And I knew somebody, and they were like, yeah, internship is 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 not even a. a uh, they're booked. We can't do it. So I was like, "Oh fuck!" And then somebody told me, "Hey, you know, I think they're looking for an intern for a radio station." So I, I I went ahead and I submit my resume, and I get a call back the next day. He says, "Hey, man, can you come in tomorrow and you know schedule an interview?" I say, "Sure." Drove down there, sat down with the with the program director, and he's like asking me questions, and he just saw like I was just so like lit. To, to be walking into a radio station and just seeing the music and just seeing like, oh my God, this is so cool. And walking the same hallways as these, you know, the celebrities, the artists are coming. And it was funny because I remember I kept on asking him questions and because I was just such a, uh, so amazed. I'm like, yo, who walked the hallway? Or, hey, what celebrity used the bathroom? You know, that type of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I just like, he saw that I, that I was like, I was hungry. And, uh, he said, all right, you know, I'm just going to give you the intern. You guys start Monday. Um, you'll be doing at least once or twice a week. And sure, and it was for a morning show. And man, I at that moment, I saw that I woke up at 3.30 in the morning to be at the radio station at 4.30 because they go on live at 5, 5 a.m. Sorry. And I saw from 5 a.m. to 10 a.m., they had to have a party every day. Like everybody, like they're having the best time of their life playing music and, and entertaining everybody. I was just like, yo, this is it. Like this, this is it. This is where I, I want to, I want to be at. And I just stuck with it. I just stuck with being in radio from that moment on. And I didn't want to go back to TV because, you know, it, it just, I don't think I, I never, it never satisfied me like how, how radio did. And, and just being part of something that is, you know, growing up as a kid, you know, when my mom was driving me to school and I listened to the morning show, uh, you know, the radio station, I grew up on it. And God, I mean, I'm going to date myself, but this was like back in you know, when the Rick, Rick D's days. And I was like, oh, my God, like he was doing all kinds of funny stuff. And we, every morning we would um, we'll, I'll listen to it. What type of radio shows did you listen to that you were like, oh, that, that's interesting to me? Yeah, I would always listen to, there was like a top 40 station. And um, it was, you know, I liked the music. It was very, you, you say like very PG when I was in the car with my mom and all that. But then when I'm uh, uh, at home and, you know, you're just hitting the record on the tape and recording like the songs and calling it, then I'll listen to the hip hop station. And those two were always been my go-to. And everybody that told me, hey, why don't you listen to this other station? Nope, I would never. I was like, <laughs> I would never listen to that because I'm religiously, those are my two favorite stations. And I was like, there's no reason for me to even to go visit them. And, you know, little by little, like, you know, as in learning the industry, I was like, oh, you know what? Let me go listen to them. And yeah, man, I mean, it was, I, then I started seeing different genres because, you know, it's using the music. I, I was pulled in into the um, top 40 world, hip hop world. So that's all I listened to. Now, anything outside of that, I didn't care at all because that was, you know, that's what I grew up on and that's what I loved. And, you know, that that was just such an inspiration when one day when I get a phone call and say, hey, 
you know, we want we want to hire you for this for this position at the radio station that I grew up listening to. And I was like, wow. oh my God, it's so crazy. And, you know, it took a it it took a it took a, some time, but you know, it was the I, I would like to say it was the beginning of my radio career. And that was I mean back in two thousand. How comfortable were you being your most authentic self in some of these spaces? Because it's it's very different than like an office culture. Yeah, you know what it was, and I hate to say it, I never being a Latino and and working for a top top forty station. It was hard because there wasn't a lot of people that looked like, me. and and the people they were, you almost had to play the white card, you know. And it was very diff not difficult, but I had to play along with it. And it was very um, knowing your lane and when to step in it and when to step out of it. And I noticed that there was there was Latino workers, but it never was at the level where you know, when they really shine, when they were in front of the people, when they were really out there and in the entertainment part of it. Latinos were always in the background. We were, you know, the band drivers. We were, you know, kind of doing the, uh, the paperwork, the office job and stuff like that. So that's when I saw, you know, but the, the, the representation of it wasn't people that looked like me. It was, it was, it was white people. And, and that was, you know, that, that, that was a face of it that was the face of it so you know at, at, at that point i noticed that i had to choose you know is this a battle when i go, go up against that could affect my career or i just go with it and learn learn everything i possibly can to see to grow to where i'm where i'm at today and and i did that i did that because i love it was a passion it was a passion I wanted to do, and I and I I rather go follow that lane to looking at the big picture. But then when it came down to like seeing the other Latinos in the in the office, and you know having that little connection felt good. But then they were also very, and I hate to say the word whitewash, but they were you know they they know their lane too, so they had to, you know guess what, you know, yes, I am Latino, but I have to act this way. Those are, those are things I, I noticed that I, when I was, I was growing into that, that genre of music, man, it, it was very, you, you sometimes have, you lose yourself in it. And because yeah. you need to, you know, at the end of the day, it's a paycheck, it's a passion. And, you know, it's just one of those things where you don't want to, I guess you could say forget where you came from, but you also have to learn that you know, this is something that's long-term and if you're willing to do something long-term and, you know, I was committed to it. I'm curious for you when you said, you know, you'd lose yourself. And, and I agree with that. I think, I think many of us have that phase when we code switch, when we fake it, when we do all those things so that we can get enough experience or we save enough money. So we get to the point where it's like, no, I can make my own decision that I'm going to feel comfortable being myself. But for you, in what ways do you think you started losing yourself? I think I lost myself when, only thinking about catering to the white people, catering mm. to them. And this is probably one of the, the best advice. And this is from a white guy who I'm friends today because he really gave me some really good advice growing up, uh, not growing up, but, you know, growing into the industry. And he told me, he said, man, just so you know that when you go somewhere outside uh, out of, you know, going for another job and it's a white person that is going to hire you, 
just know you already have two strikes against you just walking into that door, walking right into it. And I was like, I don't get it. And he says, well, first of all, you're a man. So that could be, that, that could swing, but overall is that you're Latino. So you're already, already being, being downgraded. So guess what? Your paychecks will always fall down. They will be lower than everybody else. Um, and, and the fact that they're, they're, gonna, they're, they're, they're used to grinding the hell out of you. But the thing is, you're going to have to cater to them. Yeah. And that's, that's, that was the rule number two, is make them like you. And I did that. I had to do that. And the sad part is where, you know, when I was working, when I, uh, I took that advice when I went to go work at a hip hop station. And the person was, was, was a white guy. And I, I was like, wow, an older white guy. And he just judged me right from the very beginning. In what he, way? He, he just, I'm Latino. And you would think at a hip hop station, you want a Latino. You, you want, you know, African-American. You want Asians. But when you walked in there, you saw how the game was being played. You know, they, they're like, mm, yeah, okay. What can you do? What, what is it? So I showed them everything and, and, and the interview process took me longer than the other people that were, were getting hired. And I was like, wow, because they didn't look like me. And I had to prove myself. They had to give me projects so I could you know, do the job and show them I can do it. And then when it came down to you know, what I'm getting paid, bare minimum, it was the bare minimum because obviously, why? If, 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 if a white guy walks up and I walk up, we're both walking into the same door, into the same office. Who do you think, without saying a word, who do you think is going to get that job? A greater possibility to get that job. Yeah. And, and, you know, and that's like, and that's what he told me. And I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that. And when I, when I realized it and lived through it, I was like, oh, my God, like, this, is, this is true. Because I didn't want to believe it. I really didn't believe it at all. Because I was, I was going to work for a radio station that is, you know, catering to, to, to minorities, catering to, you know, the, the, like they say, the urban community. Mm -hmm. So you kind of want people that look like me and, and, and or look like the audience. But no, nah, man, it was, it was very... Uh, it, you had to play the game and, yeah. you know, I, I, I had to play it and I was able to get in and the job with the job was made for, for two people. Wow. And, and they just gave me, they just gave me that position. Two people were eliminated. So I had to do a job with two people for working hardly anything. For you, when you say I cater to white people, I, I mean, I did the same thing. I, uh, I always tell the story that I used to like study white popular American culture. Like I used to binge watch shows so that, you know, when you're next to the water cooler or whatever it is, and people are like talking this conversation, I could join in. I could be like, oh, I saw that show too. And they could be like, oh, Rick is cool. Pavel is cool. You know what I mean? Like he watches the same shows as us. Like, did you do any of that? Like what sort of things did you do to cater or to, you know, prove yourself that you are, you know, one of the good guys, as they call it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, and one thing is that I think I'll, I'll go back to my childhood because I think a lot of mm -hmm. uh, has to portray that because, you know, growing up, I, I was dyslexic and I had problems with like, I literally was pretty much walking backwards. 
Like it was just that bad and, you know, and had ADD. So uh, when it came down to like, you know, seeing doctors and my mom was just like freaking out and, and they were like, yeah, your son's dyslexic. And she freaked out. You know, my mom thought like, oh my God, my son's special. Like, oh my God. And I can't believe this is happening. So when it came down to like, okay, we need, he needs special treatment or like tutoring and stuff like that. Then the doctor told me he needs to learn one language. He needs to focus on one thing so he could excel in. And then when he excels on that, then back into Spanish. So luckily I had to live in in an American world where, you know, a lot of, I I knew, I, I know Spanish growing up. I understood it. Talking was different because I had to stick with, with one language because that's what the doctor said, because they were like, hey, you know, you, you, let's get them down one thing and then focus on the other. Um, but I, I had to learn to be, you know, an American person thinking, watching all the English shows. Um, and, and I think that part I was able to grow from. So when I saw Spanish TV, I always looked at it, it was like, eh. Like, it's <laughs> yeah. so just disgusting. Like, same, oh my God. Same. like. Yeah. yeah, so it's like, you know, when I remember growing up, like my grandma always was Salvador and Lovingo. I mean, Salvador Salvo Gigante. And I yeah. was like, and I was like, oh my God, Don Francisco, this and that. Like, oh, there, 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 there's a clown and there's like this and that. And they got the audience singing songs. I'm like, what the? F-? And it's just like, I just couldn't, I, I couldn't wrap my, my mind around that. And so, but I knew it was on every Saturday. But then, you know, the stuff that my grandma watched, the novelas and stuff like that, I couldn't, I never wanted to be associated with any of that stuff. Me too. And so I thought, I thought it was so corny, a lot of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was funny because like, well, there was like news where there was a cl- guy dressed as a clown giving out the news. I'm like, how is this even <laughs> like relentlessly like taking this professional? And no, it, you know, it was the way how Latinos were. And the fact that the women were half naked at the time. <laughs> and, my, and every, like the household, every, it, like it was normal. Like it was normal. And I was like, oh my God. But yeah, I, I never wanted to be associated. I didn't want to be uh, uh, learning that culture, that, that world of, of, you know, Spanish. But keep in mind, I grew up listening to Spanish music because every Saturday morning when my mom's cleaning, Gloria Stefan, uh, Celia Cruz, uh, you know, you have uh, Willie Chirino because we're Cuban. So we ha- that was always blasting Saturday, Sunday. So to this day, that, that sticks with me. That sticks with me to this day. And I never lost that. That was the one thing I could say that it, I took with me growing up all my life. But yeah, man, that was, that, that was, I think that was the beginning where I noticed that I, wasn't almost because I and I hate to say this wasn't a good Latino I was a white person and I kind of moved that direction did people tell you that or was that a story you told yourself as far as not being a good Latino oh that was a story to myself or I mean for instance if there was hanging around with other Latinos and I heard them Spanish speaking Spanish and I started talking Spanish they saw I had, I had an accent like I didn't it was in a Spanish accent. It was like an American accent. So I was like, oh my God. And it's like, it, it, you know, when I went to public school, because the, the public school was majority 
uh, Mexican and, and Salvadorian. So they were speaking Spanish. And I was like, when I tried to speak Spanish, they were like, oh, nah, this guy's white. This guy's white. He's not with us. He's not with us. And I was like, yeah. oh, my God. There's and so much judgment that we that we put on each other and criticize each other. It's like it's like there's levels to the Latini Latinoness. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely. I mean, we we are our, our worst own like people, man. It just like mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. Like, you know, we judge the fact. Oh, you're not Latino because you don't speak Spanish, or you know, you're you're you don't look. You have blue eyes and, and white white skin. It's like no, you're not Latino. It's like we are horrible. We're horrible. But yeah. You know, those are stuff that we have to, you know, as Latinos to overcome and, and really kind of change that, that, that mindset. Because, you know, we have these all this new generation where they don't need to learn Spanish. They don't mm. need to do it. You know, I'm Latino because I have a last name. And, you know, I, I understand the culture. I understand the food. But speaking it is, is, is something that they're like, like true, not, not choosing, but, you know, I, because of the, the parents, like they're teaching them English because they want them to be, you know, American. They want them to yeah. to have the American dream and yeah. all that. And that's you know, that's kind of like what my mom wanted me yeah. to do is to live, get the American dream. Some I'm, I'm a U.S. citizen, yeah. and I was born in the United States. So guess what? I I'm representing, you know, the 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 island of Cuba. You know, make mm -hmm. telling them, hey, my son is is American, born and raised in Los Angeles, but you know, he needs to. Uh, He's showing us that he is being best American and in a good represent, representation for the, for her family. Yeah. So, and that was that was something that I saw. Then when we're fast forward until I start working into um, you know radio and radio was very you know you've probably seen this before where it could be a hip hop station, it could be a top forty CHR you just that person who you talk to at the end of the at, at the end of the, the, the table is going to be white mm. and now i have to talk to that person as oh, as a white person and and i think that that's the case let's be real like that's the case in every company like i made a post about um i was like yo your favorite brand is probably doing a campaign around black history month but don't forget about like who's in the board of directors or don't forget who's in the c-suite like just because they got black people in their eyes don't mean that there's black people in leadership, right? So, but I think it's interesting too, because even in those situations, I'm sure you had ideas around like, yo, we should probably bring up this artist or we should probably do this segment or we should probably do this, this and that. And it's almost like you have to convince them of the idea and educate them because they have no idea, right? Versus if you'd be like, yo, we should bring on Taylor Swift. It's a no brainer. They're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, my, my daughter loves, loves Taylor T. Swift. Let's go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And those ideas are, yeah. No, that key word that you said, education, educate, mm -hmm. that is a very powerful word uh, during that, during any time right now, because, you know, it, it's funny you say that because when I was working at the, uh, the top 40 station in Los Angeles, this is the very beginning of reggaeton. So guess what? You know, you had Daddy Yankee, Gasolina. They're like, oh, this Gasolina song. Gasolina. Is, 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 yeah, this Gasoline song is really good. I don't know what they're saying, but it's, you know, it, it's great. This is awesome. And, you know, that was taken off. Then that Don Omar, um, you know, and I even heard Ra Rackham and Kenny heard that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yo, I was just like, they're just butchering the hell out of these things. But guess what? <laughs> I was like, and, and, and I remember uh, there was a girl who I was dating 
she was into it. She's been, she was, she was like knee deep in, 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 in that, in that culture before I learned it. So she was telling me like, Oh, there's this girl, uh, uh, the Evie queen, this and that. And I remember I said, can you make me a list of the people like you think are, are, are really, really good. She gave me a whole list and, you know, and I'm thinking like, Oh, man i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna do such a great job because guess what i'm the latino that's walking in there with a piece of paper and I, he just looked at it and he's like these are just names they, they this isn't going anywhere this wrap it up and throw it in the trash i was like ah okay and then you know there all of a sudden you start seeing them saying oh evie queen oh you know, the, um, we seen Yandel, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that was literally, that was on the piece of paper, the paper that I, I gave them, but it, because it wasn't, I, I didn't look like them. Mm -hmm. I didn't look like, until they noticed where that music was taking off, where people were calling in. People said, we want to hear this. We want to hear this. And they start saying, oh, wait a minute. This is like a throne world is being big yeah it's 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 is massive yeah so they're like hey rick what does this mean hey rick what does that mean okay and that was the point that i know i was like oh cool now i'm i'm, I'm valuable now i'm a value i'm valuable and you know they're always coming to me like oh what do you you know uh, is this is this somebody that's big uh, in puerto rico this and, that? and keep in mind because I spoke Spanish, they thought I was Puerto Rican, Mexican, Salvadorian, Cuban. Like <laughs> I represent the whole nation of oh, Latinos, you know. But I, I just was like, it was it was weird because in in a way, I felt like oh now this is my time to shine. This is you know this is this is the way I'm gonna I'm gonna get my my foot in the door and nah they just used me, and so that you know when they they saw an opportunity like who were the biggest uh, uh, artists at that time? And I just, you know, I gave them a list and they went to Puerto Rico and they brought a guy who was Mexican, but didn't speak a lick of Spanish. And they brought him to help translate. And I was like, oh, this is, this is hilarious. And they, they saw and they're like, oh, we don't understand what Daddy Yankee said. Oh, we don't know what you know what these people are saying. So they had to somebody in staff that barely spoke English, English, had to translate in broken English mm -hmm. to get the answers. Because they noticed like we will do whatever it takes. And then when it got back to me, I had to edit it. Because guess what? I was I was the, the Latino that had to edit the the Spanish stuff because there was nobody there that can do it. Speaking of like reggaeton blowing up and just Spanish music in general. I remember the first time, I think the first time I heard a Spanish song, like a full Spanish song on Hot 97, which for the listeners that don't know, it's a hip hop station, radio station in New York. It might have, it might have been, well, no, that's not true. There's a few songs that I've probably heard that, and no, matter of fact, this was Funk Flex playing it. So it wasn't like DJ Camelo or like, um, you know, the other Spanish DJ or the other Latino DJs. It was like Funk Flex. I heard a Bad Bunny song on Funk Flex and he was dropping bombs on it. I was like, yeah. what is happening? I'm like, am I listening yeah. to the right station? Are they are they dropping bombs on La Mega now? I was like, yo, I'm wondering for you, like, I'm sure there are some like pivotal moments in music 
history where everyone just started paying attention. Like, was it Gasolina? Was it Despacito? Was it Bad Bunny? What was that turning point for you where you were like, now they're gonna, now they're gonna listen to me? Um, it was funny because there's like, there's two waves. We got mm. the, the beginning of reggaeton and we have the, the, the second wave of reggaeton. So mm. I, think, I think the first one was when I noticed that the, uh, the English uh, uh, rappers were co-signing Tego Caldero. You saw them co-signing Don Omar. You saw them, like, I remember Fat Joe, 50 Cent, was talking about Tego. And I was like, yo, Tego was, at that time, I was like, oh, my God. Like, I remember seeing at the, on TV at late night, they used to play videos. And I was sitting there, and I was like, who is this, this guy rapping in Spanish with an afro? But the beat was hard. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind, I was like, nah, Spanish music, I don't, nah, I don't mess with it. But I was like, oh my God, this dude is killing it. Then about a couple of weeks later, I'm watching MTV and I see Fat Joe talking about him. I see 50 Cent start talking about him. I was like, oh, okay. He's, he's being co-signed. And then we see Big Pun. You know, we start seeing that wave of the Latinos are now shining. And I think that's why I noticed like, oh, oh, we're hot now. Now we're hot. Now we're, we're making, now we're, we're, we're tapping a market where it hasn't been touched. And now we're welcoming them in, into our world. But keep in mind, they still have control. Mm-hmm. So they, uh, that's when I noticed that there was, that now Latinos are shining. The second wave was, I think it was like, got 10, 10 years later, like more than that, where I've always said this. Um, when J Balvin uh, dropped Energia. And that was the, the, the album that introduced and gave the second life to reggaeton. That was the album that had that dembo beat that was played 10 years ago. And he did it in such a way where people jumped back on it. And like, oh, what is this? Yo, this is hard. He, you know, in that same album, he also put uh, a begin like land trap, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the song that the Snapchat would go like, you know, Snoop Dogg did it, but I was like, Hey, this is the same beat. So mm-hmm. he introduced, you know, a couple genres off that album. And then I started seeing other artists doing the reggaeton. So we started seeing the reggaeton coming back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then you start seeing a new wave of, of reggaeton uh, uh, coming in. And I said, Oh, Oh, this is this is this is happening. There was a part of me that was like kind of ashamed of reggaeton because a lot of people were making fun of it. People were like, "It's the same beat. How could you tell the difference?" Or, "Yo, these have you seen the Gasolina video? That that looks corny compared to like a Fifty Cent video." It was just like there wasn't a pride in it for me, and like it made it a little bit easier. Well, I listened to it on my side, but like externally prideful, like not that much for me, right? Like I wasn't. Be like, yo, play that Don Omar track. You know what I mean? But as it grew in popularity, I think it was easier for me to embrace it a little bit more, right? And not only listen to it on my own, but me like making requests and me blasting it, you know, whatever. Like, did you also get more of that pride as it gained more popularity? You know, it's funny because like you you went through exactly what 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 I was going into at that time because uh, at the time I was working at for a radio station. This is the, this is the now the first time I'm walking into 
my first Spanish radio station that was uh, at that time was owned by SBS and, and which is La Mega. You know, mm-hmm. now it's called La Mega, but it was a, well, it's always been called La Mega in New York, but in, in LA it was called Latino, Latino 963. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, when I first got up, because I went from working from a, a top 40 station, being number one, number one, number one, to go work for a land station. And, you know, and I felt like I went from, you know, I guess from Beverly Hills, and I'll make a reference, LA reference, from <laughs> Beverly Hills to now, to, to ghetto South Central. And I was like, wow, just like the crowd, completely different. And you start seeing that now this is urban. Now this is for, this is music made for low-class people. That's what I, like, I started seeing because, you know, there was the, these, these were the people that weren't, uh, these were the helpers. The people who were listening to this were the helpers. These are the ones that, you know, who had to work two or three jobs to, you know, to also help the family. You know, and 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 to see that and and like I for some reason I looked at it was like I felt like I was above them, you know. Mm-hmm. That's the thing, and that took me a second to to humble my ass down because, you know, that was working from radio station when everything was handed to you, everything. Like every artist wanted to be on that radio station. Everybody wanted to go there, and they would go there. Now into a, a brand new radio station that you know that's only played reggaeton in a in a in a, in a, in a, a dabble of hip-hop and that was where i saw that uh that like the same thing it was like this it all sounds the same that that bombi was just over and over and over and then it goes and i remember that uh you know it's like our, our parents saying like we're, we're listening to hip-hop it's like hey that's not music and i was like oh my god and it's you know it, it was one of those things but then you know it, it was the people who listened to it were the people that looked like you and i mm. and i noticed that and you know and i was just like okay then after a year later i started noticing you know english speaking stations uh, they mm. they started getting rid of it and you know you probably hear dabble here and there every once in a while but no and the clubs you know the, the, especially the club scene that was like exactly the same thing like you see these kids perriando and yeah. you know grinding literally humping on the floor you know that's <laughs> that was that was it and i remember where somebody made a, a value point was you know why does don omar why does daddy yankee need to come to this radio station because you know, if they're performing at these small little venues, small little venues, clubs that hold probably two or 300, I go, when these artists go down to South America, they have, they're playing coliseums. Yeah. So just imagine that from something so massive that they're doing, they're just, now they're doing it at the back of a restaurant that they have a little a club area. Yeah. And I just, and I was like, oh shit, that's right. Like, that's so true. So Seeing that was a made perfect sense why they didn't want to come to us. Why was it that they didn't want to, to, to almost, they know we play the music, mm-hmm. but it never really valued them. Yeah. And that was, that, was, that was really, really sad. But then, you know, within, within your time, popularity, then you start performing at bigger venues. And yeah, now they start coming to the radio station. Now you got uh, festivals now. Now they're performing at these, you know, these festival Cali bashes and stuff like that. And it's like, okay, now they're going to do the rounds. I'm curious too, because you, you've, a lot of your experiences working in, in radio stations, but eventually you made the move to a tech company. 
was that experience and you bringing or you feeling comfortable being yourself any different than when you were working radio? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's good. It's good to be part of a, a team that is very, you know, they're very open. They're, they they want to know what's going on. Like they, they, there's no judgment there. You know, mm. it's just everybody's just as hungry to learn, to tap in and how to make things bigger, how to how to make it stand out more. And I think that's something where, you know, I'm, I'm happy to see that. And just kind of being very open to changes in the industry, in the music scene, and helping, you know, artists kind of, you know, develop as well. It's, it's a different ballgame. It's a, it's a different ballgame because I've always said that where I'm at today, I, it took me 20 years to get to where I'm at today. But what I'm using now is the best qualities I learned in that radio, working in radio, because working radio, you, you wear multiple hats. I mean, multiple, I was, I was the morning show producer. I was the, the imaging guy. I was also um, sales at some point, you know, I had to do production, you know, I, it was just consistently, you were wearing multiple hats, doing pro drive, drive a band band too, mm -hmm. after producing a show. Um, you just wore multiple hats. I think it's fascinating to, from where you were earlier, where you were a little bit insecure about certain things, whether it be the dyslexia, whether it be the speaking Spanish or, you know, other Latinos judging you on how Latino you are, right? Me personally, like if I was in front of the people that you were in front of, like taking pictures of Jay Balvin and Carol G and, you know what I mean? I'd be yeah. insecure. I'd be like, oh my God, I got to practice my Spanish before I talk to Carol. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not ready yeah. to talk to, 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 to Jose in my yeah. Spanish. Like, do you get insecure? Like, or, or are you like very confident at this point in your life? Uh, no, not confident at all. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like when you're, when you're in a room with a bunch of Puerto Ricans and you're like, oh, my Spanish is horrible co co compared to everybody here. And it's like, oh my God. And I remember when I was, uh, when I was thrown in a studio with Bad Bunny and I had to coach him. And, you know, this is the beginning of his career. This is where, uh, you know, was of No Me Meta Cabra, you know, No Me Cabra, that's the one, you know, and, and before we got to Chambea. And I had to be in a studio coaching him to do, you know, a radio show. And it was crazy because at that point I was like, oh my God, my Spanish is horrible. I got, I got to practice. I got to practice. And I knew that I wanted to, at that point I was like, yeah, I definitely want to work in the Spanish. Like Spanish was, was where, where it kept on taking me. As much as I wanted to pull away from, it just kept on taking me to Spanish. And I was like, there has to be a reason why. The other day, um, I was like, dang, my, my Spanish is horrible again. It's horrible again. So, you know, I'm like, cool. I'm going to go to Colombia. I'm forced to speak Spanish. I'm forced to go out there for, for a week and a half and just kind of speak Spanish to the people. So now I have to, you know, brush up on my Spanish. Because guess what? They're good judging the hell out of me. They're good judge the hell out of me. Because, you know, they're like, oh, what's your, where are you from? And I'll say from Los Angeles. But then they always have, no, no, no. But that Spanish is different. I say, oh, my parents are from Cuba, this and that. They're like, oh, okay, okay. we, we kind of hear that. I was like, ah, oh, damn it. That's like the slap to the face. It's like, we kind of hear that. Like, oh, so, but yeah, man, no, that's, that's what I do. I, I kind of train myself to go into an area where I ha I'm forced to speak Spanish.
Mi gente, that wraps up this week's episode of the Quintueras podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor, leave us a rating and a review. It just helps us in the algorithm to ensure that these stories get heard by as many people as possible. Scaling these stories and experiences is the only way that we're going to redefine professionalism. Thank you and see you next week.